Welcome to The Nature of Florida, the Sunshine State's only podcast dedicated to its wild and natural places and the fight to preserve them. I'm your host, Oscar Corral, a two-time Emmy Award-winning filmmaker and journalist. I've dedicated much of my career to making films about environmental issues. Tune in each week to hear from a broad range of voices, from scientists to surfers, activists to mermaids, who are working on the front lines to save what's left of Florida's natural beauty and its wildlife. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Nature of Florida podcast. With me here today is Richard S. Kern. Richard has a BA in Literary and Cultural Studies from the College of William & Mary, where he graduated in 2002. Um, his interests in nature and art and his experiences with filmmaking parents have equipped him to take the helm of the Encounters and Excellence team. Uh, last year, he presented his film Rainforests of the Maya to over 35,000 public school students. He's a filmmaker and uh, a great environmental advocate and activist, and I welcome him today. Welcome, Richard. Oscar, thanks so much for having me on. This is a great privilege. Appreciate it. So Richard, what got you into wildlife filmmaking? I know that your parents are into it, but how did you find your, how did you hit your stride in that field? Yeah, that's a great question. So the easy answer would be to put the blame squarely on the, on the, on the shoulders of my parents, right? Because that's, uh, that's how I was born. Uh, I was raised in a family that, that, uh, you know, loved nature and, uh, you know, made a business out of making nature documentaries. Um, but in reality, um, you know, we're also a family that, you know, we're individualists um, and, and we all kind of do our own thing. And very early on, um, I had a very deep drive um, to tell stories. Uh, I also have a very strong, you know, visual um, drive. So, uh, you know, at an early age, I was into art. Um, and really anything creative, I would say, um, sculpture. Um, so, you know, growing up, I, for some reason, always thought what my parents did was so cool, but that was their thing. And, uh, and, and I was going to go in maybe a slightly different direction, um, in a more, you know, in a creative direction. Um, so I, uh, I got, as you said in the intro, um, I went to the College of William and Mary and uh, pursued uh, really communications, uh, literary and cultural studies. Um, took a lot of creative writing classes and English classes. Uh, took some art classes in there as well. Uh, and upon graduation, I still couldn't quite figure out the exact direction I wanted to go and uh, worked in the art world uh, here in South Florida for a number of years. And by a series of sort of unfortunate coincidences um during my art stage uh i had a i had a where, warehouse uh, near winwood that was robbed uh you know cleaned out and um shortly after i had a conversation over dinner with my dad and he said you know i, I think i'm gonna look into retiring uh but it'd be great if i could find you know some young maybe science teacher from miami-dade county who could carry the torch forward you know i think this is so important and it was like a light bulb suddenly went off in my head and and I, I said that should be me um and and I I made the right decision I, I couldn't imagine doing anything else right now um my job allows me to get out there and explore uh and and to be creative and to communicate the things that I learn and I'm learning new things every day um to uh to a younger generation so that's in a nutshell my my history and, and your work now is uh, part of Encounters in Excellence, right? Can you tell me what that is? Correct. So Encounters in Excellence uh, was a uh, 501c3 nonprofit that my parents 
uh, along with another co-founder established in uh, 1978. Um, and they, they created this nonprofit. Um, you know, if you back up a, about uh, six or seven years, my father had been creating uh, nature documentaries and, and touring the country um, through the National Audubon Lecture Series and National Geographic and, you know, months on the road and, you know, needed experiences, but, but uh, they got to thinking, you know, this format that we're using, you know, pre presenting these films in an auditorium, you know, uh, at a university, maybe in Washington state, um, you know, we think it would connect in the same way to students back here in Miami. Um, and so that's how the organization was, was started, uh, became official. Uh, they got their 501c3 um, letter in 1980, which, by the way, was the year I was born and has been going strong in, in Miami-Dade County ever since. And, and Encounters in Excellence, describe to me what it does. Sure. Um, so Encounters in Excellence has evolved a bit since uh, the days that my parents co-founded it. Uh, initially, the idea was to bring not just nature documentaries, but other professionals um, into Miami-Dade County Public Schools so students could have an, a positive interaction with somebody uh, doing positive things. Um, they even had Maya Angelo uh, come down one year in the early days. Um, since then, we've really focused, uh, uh, you know, kind of laser focused on uh, science and environmental education. And, and right now that's really uh, what we do. Um, most people now know us by uh, Odyssey Earth. Um, Odyssey, Earth so right. Odyssey Earth is a program by Encounters in Excellence. And that really encapsulates a little bit more, you know, what we're focused on now. And Odyssey Earth is a, is a website, right? Tell me more about Odyssey Earth. Odyssey Earth is a website right now, uh, but we are actually in the uh, in the process of, of sort of rebranding. Re um, uh, we're gonna, we're creating a DBA um, so that you know Encounters in Excellence and Odyssey Earth will be essentially interchangeable. Um, but Odyssey Earth started as a, a, a website component to the live film series we were running every year in Miami Dade, um, and so each year, you know, we I would personally uh, take my film into an auditorium, you know, every day for a few months, a different auditorium, um, and show these films in person live to uh, about 50 different schools in a year, uh, which is fantastic. Miami-Dade County Public Schools is the fourth largest in, in, in the country, uh, which is, you know, wonderful because we have such a huge accessible audience right here. Um, however, with the internet, you know, our, our reach can be exponentially larger. Um, and so that was uh, something I conceived 12 years ago as kind of a side project. Um, I will say that, especially since the COVID-19 pandemic, we're, we're realizing that Odyssey Earth should not be seen as a side project. Uh, in fact, it may at some point be our the cornerstone of our programming. And so we're, we're actually rebuilding our site from the ground up, uh, investing a lot into it this summer for launch. Um, uh, this coming uh, school year. What kind of, what kind of uh, storytelling do you do and for environmental topics and issues? Good question. Um, so typically our, our documentaries focus on a, um, a habitat or a bioregion and, and we try to, um, you know, kind of connect the dots, uh, kind of weave that tapestry 
together um, by focusing on several, you know, um, sub characters. I guess you could you could say um, uh, elements uh, to the food web, and in, in, you know, let's say the Everglades, if if the film is on the Everglades, um, but you know, do it in a way that's uh, that's fun, that um, really draws out a sense of exploration and adventure, adventure while communicating, uh, you know, important science benchmarks that students are required to learn, um, you know, in their typical day in a science classroom. Uh, we want these films uh, to be fun, but not a break from school. We want them to be uh, you know, solid educational experiences. And that's worked out very well for us because, you know, we have a track record now and teachers know that, uh, you know, this isn't a free day for their kids. They're going to have fun. Uh, they're going to learn about the Everglades in a, in a way that they can't from, you know, walking down a boardwalk at an Inga trail. Um, but they're also going to be learning about, you know, trophic levels and, and uh, energy transfer and, and uh, you know, habitats and ecosystems. And that's, uh, that's really what we've specialized in. Why, why do you think it's important to reach kids um, with environmental topics and to target them for education on these issues? This is an interesting time in, in, my, uh, um, in my opinion, because uh, our planet is, is facing, you know, unprecedented environmental threats, especially if you're talking about, you know, large scale issues like climate change. Um, it's a scary time um, for our environment. And yet, uh, I'm seeing this younger generation of students um, getting it in a way that my generation and those before didn't. Um, I think that says a lot about our, our educational system. Um, you know, kids soak things up. I've got a seven-year-old daughter. Um, and, and if you put on a nature documentary, um, she, she sucked in. Animals are kind of, um, <laughs> I guess, a universal language for, for kids. Um, so if you start them young uh, and plant those seeds, uh, the, the result, um, at least the goal, is, is that you're going to end up with a new generation of very thoughtful, informed environmental stewards who will tackle some of these issues in, in ways that generations before them haven't. You know, students are learning more uh, about science um, from the ground up um, and, and in in a comprehensive way. Um, I, I look at some of the homework my seven-year-old brings home and, but you know, I, I didn't have nearly the same rigor, uh, you know, looking back um, as students today do. Um, and they're also, you know, uh, their, their hands are on, you know, mobile devices and, and they're consuming media, um, you know, at a volume and a rate uh, much different than what I was used to. Not all of that's good, but they are, are getting access to, um, I think fairly sound, um, you know, news about things like climate change, or if you live in South Florida, uh, Everglades restoration, um, there are a lot more, um, uh, you know, groups that are coalescing over social, social media to tackle some of these issues from, from a grassroots, um, you know, standpoint. And I'm thinking about, you know, groups like Captains for Clean Water here in South Florida, um, who are shining a much brighter spotlight on these issues. And I think kids, kids are, are getting it. Um, they're not as, as um, maybe skeptical. Um, they see, you know, the realities of sea level rise um, in a way that, that I didn't grow up 
um, seeing. So I, I think it's, it's fertile ground to get these kids, um, you know, environmentally literate uh, and, and equip them to become environmental stewards. Is most of the lecture series in Miami-Dade County or is it in different parts of the state? Yeah, for the, the 42 years that we've been running the Encounters in Excellence uh, film series, it's primarily been in Miami-Dade County. Um, it's uh, like I mentioned before, um, we're lucky to be right right here in the fourth largest school district in the country. Um, uh, we, um, we would need to vastly expand our, our fundraising efforts and our, and our team, um, you know, to, to move, move out beyond that. But with the internet, um, we can reach more students, maybe not in the same, you know, personal way as we do with the live film series, but we can extend our, our reach outward to the internet. And, and I think that's an exciting thing for us. Uh, I will say for the last um, seven or eight years, um, I've been spending an extra week um, in uh, Stark County, Ohio, uh, giving lectures to students in Ohio. And that's been through uh, a special grant from the, the Herbert W. Hoover Foundation who've uh, come alongside us and, and they've, they've understood our vision. Um, uh, they are also passionate about, especially uh, marine conservation issues. Um, and so we're, we're thankful to the Herbert W. Hoover Foundation for giving me a chance to, uh, to go see some, some other uh, demographic uh, and enjoy a slightly different climate uh, for you, a week out of the year. Has, has your organization triggered copycats around the country and other people in other states say, you know what, these guys are onto something. I want to, let's start an organization like that where we teach environmental issues and wildlife issues to students. Have you seen any of that? I hope so. Um, I hope so. That'd be great. We, uh, you know, there's never enough of us. Um, but I, I, I don't know that we've, uh, I haven't encountered uh, that was an unintended pun on our name, uh, a, a similar a live narrated film series, um, at least in Florida. Um, and I should explain, I don't think I explained this uh, at the beginning. Um, when I present my films in auditoriums, um, we've got the, the picture, the sound, you know, background sound. Um, I actually stand up on the stage with a microphone and I, I narrate it live for a memory. That's that's different. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and, you know, that's um, usually eight to 10 pages of script. I have to commit to memory. Um, that's maybe, maybe more work than a lot of people want to do. Um, but, but it is a different uh, experience. Um, I think it kind of breaks the fourth wall uh, and the kids engage a little bit differently. It's so. definitely very multimedia. It is a little, a yeah. little bit of performance, yeah. you know, a little bit of uh visual media do you do you also do filming i i know that i think i read on the website that you're you actually go out into the field and do some filming sometimes um all the time yeah <laughs> so we um we have been able to do what we do because we uh we are multitaskers uh i um i do uh, i'm involved in almost every well every aspect of the production um, including most of the filmmaking. I'm usually the guy behind the camera. Um, and, and oftentimes it's, it's just me out there with my camera. Sometimes I'll set the camera up on a tripod and, you know, deliver some lines of narration in front of it, but I'm usually the one behind the camera composing mm. the images and, and filming the wildlife. It's, it's incredible how, how many different hats you have to wear to bring a production to life, isn't it? When you're doing wildlife films and environmental films, 
Um, it's you have to be nimble. Is that is that true? That's that's very very true. And and you would know as as much as I would um, about the behind the scenes, you know what it takes to create a documentary like this. Um, I this job suits me very well because I'll have to confess I'm slightly uh, ADD. Uh, <laughs> I I like you know putting on different hats. Uh, it gives me something else to to, to play with and manipulate. Uh, you know I can be working on my script one day and then, you know, knee deep in, in a cypress dome, the next uh, capturing footage, um, you know, wor working on sound. Uh, the one thing I don't do is score the music. Um, I, uh, I use uh, royalty free sites usually for, for the music, but um, I, I always like to say I'm kind of the uh, walking, talking example of a steam career. You know, steam is a big um, uh, catchphrase now in, in education. It's science, technology, education, uh, sorry, engineering, uh, math and art. I do all of that, you know, almost on a daily basis. And, and <clears throat> what have you encountered out there while you, while you're filming, any interesting anecdotes about things you've seen and, and encounters or, or wildlife you've filmed? Oh yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's one of the best parts of the job, um, being, you know, up there, out there close, uh, close to the nature, um, you know, smelling the smells, um, you know, there, uh, face to face with, uh, with a, you know, Florida manatee as I was, uh, you know, recently in the Springs, um, uh, which, uh, which, you know, a lot about as well. Um, uh, let me, let me think in interesting encounters. Um, they're, they're so big when you actually come across one, it's, it's, it's intimidating. It's like, Whoa, this huge animals right next to me. And, you know, and it's so, they're so gentle though, you know, it's incredible. They really are. And, 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 and amazingly shy, you know, we think of them as these kind of uh, bumbling, you know, uh, friendly animals, but they're very, very shy. Uh, they've, they've, uh, they've had to be to survive, um, especially in the last couple hundred years um, in Florida. Um, but you're right. They're, they're completely gentle. Um, the ones that are a little more habituated to, to people, uh, in places like Crystal River and Homosassa Springs, uh, they will come up to you and 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 they want to play. It's um, it's the coolest thing. Um, I I showed some of the footage that I captured recently to my my daughter Scout. Uh, she's seven years old and and now she is obsessed with going with me to to swim with manatees later on this summer. Isn't isn't Florida incredible? There's actually places in the state where you can go and swim with manatees you can't maybe you can't grab them and hold on to them but you can actually swim alongside them and and see them up close and and it's just it, it, that's that makes an impression on you if you're if you're an adult for sure but if you're a young person if you're a child it just you never forget that no no i, I don't know how how anyone uh could could not be um uh, you know impressed with an encounter like that i you know one thing i i find is that when you grow up in a place, uh, sometimes it, it loses its mystique. And I think one part of, of my job is to reintroduce students, especially here in South Florida, to how exceptional our state is from a wildlife perspective. Um, you know, when you grow up hearing that, oh, yeah, we've got American alligators and, and American crocodiles and manatees, you know, that's, you know, you take it for granted. Um, but we are... I would say I, I would say I'm in the perfect place in uh, in the continental U.S. Uh, to be a wildlife filmmaker because Florida is that special. 
Richard, what are some of the issues you see environmentally in Florida, particularly in South Florida, that you think um, children need to know about? And I'm not talking about, you know, I'm talking about more like environmental impact issues, things that are happening that, that are not good, that you think it's important to educate children about? Oh, um, yeah, good question. I, I think, um, I think that's, that can be a, a fairly long list. Um, sure. <laughs> one thing, uh, one thing I think we need to be thinking very hard about, um, at least locally in South Florida is the issue of, uh, population growth and urban sprawl. Um, you know, we are growing so rapidly still, um, and, you know, South Florida is just this really, if you look at it on, a, on a map, it's just this tiny little spine of land that skirts, uh, the Eastern edge of the Everglades. Um, you know, one of, one of the higher places in, in South Florida, um, is an area called the Redland where I grew up. Um, my parents' house is on 13 feet above sea level. Uh, that's, that's you know, which high. is practically, that's, that's high for South, for South Florida. Yeah, that's one of our largest peaks there in in <laughs> in, in, in South Florida, um, and, and so we're we're just sort of balancing on this little strand, this little sliver of nature. Um, and, and the more people you pack in, the more tempting it is to extend that urban development boundary. And the, the more issues you have with uh, um, the things that humans bring along with us, um, you know, uh, stormwater runoff and all the pollutants, uh, you know oil dripping out of our, our cars, um, the fertilizers that we're applying to our lawns, um, you know, they just, those, those um, issues com compound in places like, um, you know, Biscayne Bay. Um, so that's certainly one issue. Of course, climate change, uh, that's a global issue. I think the, the planet needs to tackle that. And we're definitely part of that. Everglades restoration, um, you know, that's, um, the world's largest um, wetland restoration um, plan ever to, to be tackled. I think that's a good step. Uh, I think we still need to be keeping an eye on the science and make sure we're doing it right. Um, but, um, but those are just a few, um, you know, plastic pollution. I, I have uh, friends that, that um, work very intimately with that, that issue. Um, and again, similar to climate change, that's a global issue, but we certainly need to be um, more, responsible with our, our consumption of single-use plastics here in South Florida. It's incredible how so many people don't realize in South Florida that we are sandwiched between two national parks. I think we're the only major metropolitan area in the United States that is sandwiched between two national parks, three if you include Dry Tortugas way down south. So I, I think there's, there's a case to be made for people growing up in Miami to have a real sense of environmental patriotism and to really have a fond attachment to the wild places that surround them and to be truly environmental activists and advocates your programs um for example bring some of these beautiful places to these um to these school children and show them that they're surrounded by these amazing natural habitats and i think that that provides a certain level of information to these kids to make a connection and to, and to trigger curiosity that may, would make them want to explore further. That's all it takes. It takes a spark for kids to become curious and interested in a topic like this. And oftentimes that first exposure to these, uh, to these 
lessons and to these, uh, you know, these issues is, is eye-opening and it people, it really captures children's imagination. And I think if it may not turn them all into wildlife filmmakers, but it definitely increases awareness and turns them into at least people who appreciate what we have here in terms of our natural places. And so, um, I feel like I feel like in Florida, there's just so many stories to tell. It's it's a it's a place where we are we are really um, up against the the wild here. I mean, we're out of land. Um, any anywhere else, the further we push, we're already eating into the Everglades. So uh, that's our water supply. So there's some some you know practical reasons why the Everglades should be protected besides the the nature of it. So uh, so I I just think it's it's interesting for kids to. Um, to get that spark and to understand what we're up against. Miami is so interesting. It's so unique. Uh, the density is, is growing so much. I, it's possible that Miami could become one of the densest places in the planet over the next hundred years. If, you know, if, if we're not flooded by then and if parts of Miami survive, I think Miami could become one of the densest places in the planet just because of its geography. It's, you know, it's location. You can't grow West. You can't grow East. You can't grow South. Um, north is where Fort Lauderdale is and Lake Okeechobee. You really, you really have to grow up and, and vertical. And so Miami is going to become very dense, which is going to challenge our, our water supply and, other, and, and our environment even more. So Miami could really become a place where sustainable development um, really plants its flag and says, okay, if we're going to grow, let's do it responsibly so that we don't destroy everything around us. And no, so, I, I completely agree. And so what's your next project? What are you working on now? Oh, I, uh, I love this question. I'm, I'm, I always love the what's your next project question because uh, that always means adventure for me. Um, every new project is, is new. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's something I can, I can dive into and, and explore and learn more about. And um, I, I think this is how the two of us connected because uh, my next project is your, uh, your latest project, really. Um, it's uh, it's going to be a film that's... Uh, it's going to take us a little bit out of South Florida into central North Florida. Uh, and we're going to be exploring the, um, the, the amazing uh, world of Florida's spring system and the, um, the, you know, the Florida aquifer, um, one of the most productive freshwater aquifers in, in America. Um, you know, as you know, these are some of the most beautiful places in, in Florida uh, and some of the most threatened um, and we're also going to be uh, focusing quite heavily on the Florida manatee um, because the springs are critical oasis for manatee survival, especially during the winter. Um, and, you know, the story of the plight of the Florida manatee is so current. If you've been watching the news and, and hearing about the, um, you know, 11 or 1200 manatee deaths last yes. year alone um, from starvation. Um, I think it's important that we, we talk about that as well. So uh, we're, we'll be in Springs country. You'll never forget it. Uh, exploring the Springs and spending time up there is it's good for the soul. And I recommend it to anybody who, who lives in Florida or elsewhere who wants to see just places that are, don't exist anywhere else on earth and that are really, you can make a connection with it's. And, and the great thing about the Springs in Florida is that you can interact with them. You can swim in them. You can, you can snorkel, you can dive, you can uh, boat on them. It's, it, it's, you could really immerse yourself in that for a few days and, and it's good for the soul. I recommend it. Yeah. You know, people have believed that since the days of Ponce de Leon, you know, the mythical uh, uh, fountains of life, uh, you know, Florida Springs. Uh, I think there is some truth in that. Oh, oh def definitely. I think people, uh, they, they, they know that 
Um, well, people should know that the springs were the inspiration for the Ponce de Leon myth of finding the fountain of youth. And uh, there's a lot of people out there who still feel that they are some sort of a, a fountain of youth. Uh, you know, I, I've tried I've tried to grow hair back on my head with the springs. It doesn't work, but uh, but it does make me feel younger when I go swimming in them. So, you know, I, I recommend it. But people swear by the springs. They, they think that they have some sort of magical healing properties. So eh, you never know. Maybe they do. Uh, and, and, and the native Americans definitely, uh, considered them sacred and, and cared for them all these years. Uh, I, I really hope that the state can turn the corner and save these places because they are threatened. Um, they're in real bad shape, just as bad as the Everglades were in, uh, you know, 30, 40 years ago before the Everglades restoration act, um, this, you know, the comprehensive Everglades restoration plan happened and the Springs are in just as bad shape as the Everglades were. And so, uh, there needs to be a concerted effort to save them and hopefully, storytelling like yours, like mine's helps bring awareness to that issue and helps the right thing be done. It helps our leaders to make the right choices because they can be saved and they should be saved. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, I, I uh, spoke with uh, our mutual friend, Dr. Bob Knight recently, and he said, you know, the Springs just don't get enough attention. Um, you know, Everglades restoration is, is, is so important. Um, and, and it's, it's so encouraging that, um, that, that, that story uh, is finally getting the attention it deserves, but our springs, um, you know, are equally important. In fact, you know, even more Floridians rely on the springs for their source of fresh water than That's we right. in South Florida rely on the Biscayne Aquifer for our fresh water. Um, and, yeah. and, uh, Dr. Knight proposed the idea of having some kind of a Springs National Park, I, I think, you know, that would be, That's right. that would be great. But yeah, science communication, I think is the key. Like you said, for politicians too, most of our lawmakers aren't scientists themselves. And that's right. You know, we, we try to communicate these issues. We, we tried to screen our documentary, the fellowship of the Springs in Tallahassee in January. And we, uh, we invited every legislator in Florida to attend. We did it during session when they were all in town in the middle of the week, and we, we hand-delivered 140 invitations to each of the legislative offices, and only one legislator showed up to watch the film. And, uh, and it's amazing because we have about nine or ten legislators in the film that we either interviewed through sit-down interviews or through some sort of ambush interview. Ambush meaning that it was not planned, that we just kind of walked up to them. Um, and so, but they, they didn't attend. And, uh, and I think it's so important for lawmakers to see some of these uh, stories and, and to know what's happening out there because they, they're not going to hear it from the lobbyists that they interact with on a regular basis. Uh, they they got to hear it from independent sources and scientists who are on the front lines, I think. I agree. And, and going back to the, the citizens, their, their constituents, uh, you know, that grassroots uh, movement, I think, you know, that was a huge reason why Everglades Restoration got, got up and moving. Um, the, the people... Who lived and, and relied on the Everglades uh, made their voices heard, and I think uh, what you and I I do is certainly a, an important component to that. Definitely. Um, so, so uh, Richard, looking forward, uh, what does your heart tell you about where we're heading environmentally in Florida? I'm generally a, a you know a pragmatist, uh, maybe uh, with us leaning a little bit towards the the cup uh, half full. Um, I, I'm worried. Uh, with the direction we're going, uh, really globally, especially you know, talking about things like climate change, big issues. Uh, you know, they, they're saying we're in what's called the sixth extinction right now, the first massive uh, you know 
species die off that that can be pretty directly attributed to the the actions of mankind um you know that's that's heavy stuff um but i i know how important it is to to hold firmly uh an optimistic view um so as bad as it gets i will always you know communicate that there's a glimmer of hope as, as long as we keep trying uh and as long as we keep working towards making better decisions as as uh, as a human race so um um, there are, I think, some definite uh, glimmers of hope. Um, and, and I think a lot of that goes back to what I'm seeing in, in our younger generation, the way that they, they get it. Well, Richard, if there's glimmers of hope, your organization and your work are definitely a big part of that. And so I, I, on that note, I'd like, to, I'd like to just thank you and, and, uh, and you know, appreciate your coming onto this podcast and doing this interview. I think it's important for people around the state to hear what you've got to say. Thanks so much, Oscar. This was a real pleasure. I had a lot of fun. Uh, and anytime I get to talk about, you know, our amazing backyard here in South Florida is just a treat. This episode of the Nature of Florida podcast was brought to you in part by the Everglades Foundation, the Felburn Foundation, the Fish and Wildlife Foundation of Florida, and Explica Media. If you're enjoying this podcast, remember to subscribe on our website, the Nature of Florida with Oscar Corral.buzzsprout.com. That's the Nature of Florida with Oscar Corral.buzzsprout.com, or find us on your favorite platform and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.